Kingston Town can't win. Burn Crusher and our Waverley star, straight for straight. Cometh the hour, cometh the legend, Weeks has done it. So we're joined by New Zealand Racing Royalty here, Hall of Famers Dave and Lance O'Sullivan. Guys, thanks for your time. Pleasure, thanks for having us. Pleased to have you here. And uh, we'll get into it. How did it all begin? Has racing always been in the family? Oh, uh, when, when I actually started, I, I started off as a jockey and uh, I rode until I was 27 and then I shifted to Matamata and started to train. Why the hell I did that, I'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> um, Lance, we'll go to you now. What was it like to ride on Cox Plate Day at the Valley? Ah, look, look I, I think... Um, I think I, wrote, I had six or seven rides all together in the Cox Plate, and it was one of those those races. You know, as you're well aware, when you go through, walk, come out on the horse onto the track through the tunnel, and the uh, the trumpets are going, and they're playing that sort of, uh, you know, it's it's almost like you feel like you're a gladiator going to war, and that's the best way to explain going out and competing in a Cox Plate. And as you know, it's, it is one of those races where, you know, the tracks and the horses are very close to the crowd and it, it just all adds to the atmosphere. But it's, um, yeah, it's one of those races where there's not a lot of chatter behind the gates. It's, it's, uh, it's all on and everybody's very, very serious. Just stepping away from the, from the Cox Plate for a, a moment, um, Dave uh, and your son Paul, you're the only two New Zealand trainers to have ever uh, trained a winner in the Japan Cup. That came with Horlicks in 1989. Yep. Uh, what are your great memories from, from that performance and obviously the remarkable performance he put in that day? Actually, put in that day, sorry. Uh, yeah, it was... Um, we were up in the stand, which was uh, most probably a good 100 yards before the winning post, so uh, I had to ask the guys behind me whether she held, held on or not. Um, she was a real, real tough mare and... Uh, you know, because I, I took Waverley Star, he went over there about two years before that or three years before that and, and uh, he ran fifth in it. But he didn't, he was never never the stayer that she was. Uh, she was just tough. And was it correct that she was aimed to ride in the Cox Plate that year? But she something had happened and she um, didn't actually make it to the track. Yeah, that's right. It was the day the day before I was just picking had her picking outside the stable and and the hair on her neck started to stand up, which was most unusual. And uh, so I took her back to the stable, took a temperature, and she had a had a, a temp. So uh, I scratched her, and but she got over it. Virtually, she was next day still not was okay, but. I wouldn't take the risk with her, so uh, we naturally enough left her out. But then she ran in the McKinnon and won that. Um, and then she went from there to the Japan Cup and won that. It's safe to say you, she would have uh, you, you would have been very confident with her if she were to run on Cox Plate Day that she would have won that day? Very, yeah. I, I just... Well, she was in such great form, you know, which she proved the following week and, and in, the, in the Japan Cup, but... Uh, yeah, I was pretty confident. And both of you have made the, the transition from jockey to trainer. It is the natural progression, but I guess, uh, what did you learn from doing that? Obviously, you need a certain skill set to do both. Well, um, yeah, I, I always found it f- far more rewarding 
far more difficult uh, in every way to be a horse trainer against being a jockey. I mean, you ride a horse in a, in a race and you get off it and if you're unlucky, you're unlucky, but that's it, finish on for the next. But when you're training, you've got to take them home and hose them down and clean them all up and, and figure out where you're going to go next time. A lot of work. And Lance, for yourself, how have you found uh, having more involvement with the horses as opposed to just riding? Well, I think it's, um, yeah, as, as Pa said, it, it's far more difficult, but it's, I think it's more satisfying but I've uh, become extremely critical of jockeys over the years because, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day they get off and, uh, you know, hand the horse back to you and it, it's, you know, you've got to explain to the owner what went wrong. But, um, you know, when, the, when you do win, the wins, uh, you know, especially you win a good race, there's no thrill like it. It's a great thrill when you're on their backs, but as a trainer there's so much more goes into it. There's so many more people that are involved from your vet to the farrier to the stable hands and, and uh, there's just, you know, weeks, months of planning goes into winning a big race. So I suppose we've we've learnt over the years when we do have our big wins, we do enjoy them more, but um, it's far more difficult. Uh, the headaches are uh, enormous. You know, you can have every day you wake up and unfortunately the job as a horse trainer in New Zealand, we continue to have to deliver bad news to owners every day it's some poor owner you've got to talk to where something's gone amiss but that's why the great times are so great now we've probably a lot of stories have been told that most people would know about you too but is there any stories that hasn't been you know, untold stories between you two um, working so closely together over those years that um, have never heard the light of day or something you can share of it on a story that you two have um, every time together working together I'd have to be very careful answering something like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, we, um, it, it all started as, as, as we are a family and, and, uh, um, and Paul came, into, came in partnership with me when he turned 21 and Lance started riding work, what, about 14? About 14, correct. And uh, so it was just a natural thing that carried on. Well, the one story that I can add is... Um I remember there was, there was one year, we, we, it was over the Auckland Carnival and it was a derby meeting one day and I think, I think I might have ridden six of the ten winners and I think you trained five of them and you had six runners that day and uh, all Dad could talk about on the way home was the, the sixth one that actually got beat, <laughs> run fourth, and I can recall that. So it was pretty tough to ride for but it, of course you know you had to perform, we had a very good line of horses and you know they were expected to win and often they did but... Um, yeah, I did get a, I can recall one other year I was leading jockey and I did get a month of stand down from riding the team, which you probably can't recall, but yeah, that was, uh, so it was pretty harsh. What did you get that for? Uh, <laughs> obviously, uh, obviously slaughtering some horse along the way. <laughs> and you quickly touched on Paul then, I believe his tenure at uh, Hong, in Hong Kong has come to an end. Yeah. Is he going to be coming back in the band, getting back together? Uh He's coming back. He's going to live with me and uh, for a while anyway till he makes up his mind what he wants to do. But uh, no, I, 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 it'll be very interesting to see what he does when he comes back. I, do, I can't see him training horses, can you? Oh, there's, there's no chance of that. <laughs> but uh, in fact, when Paul left to go to Hong Kong, uh, at, that, at that stage I had um, no intention of becoming involved in training horses. I was doing a little, little bit of work for... A local racing channel. I wasn't much good at it, but uh, I was doing, did that for about twelve months, 
and then when Paul got the nod to go to Hong Kong, it was either wind the whole operation down or somebody take it over and um, it turned out that I drew the short straw and sort of 18 years later, here I am. But when he made the decision to come back to New Zealand, which was quite some time ago, it's nothing, I would say probably the last two years, he's debated whether it was going to be his last, but he finally called time on it this year. And I also offered him, uh, you know, the the position back as a trainer at Wexford, but he said, no, he's done his time as a trainer. But he's happy to fill in uh, when Andrew Scott and I both go on holidays. So that will be his, his involvement. Uh, the Cox Plate, uh, 1991 Cox Plate. We'll start with uh, start there with Surfers Paradise, a five-time Group One winner, with the, the, probably the pinnacle moment in his career being the uh, the Cox Plate in 1991. What can you tell us about him as a horse? Did he did he ever reach his full potential, um, or do you think he had s- some more in him? Um, uh, he, he he finished up in America that horse, but prior to that. It, there's a bit of a story attached to him. I was asked to uh, go and have a look at these this horse for there was I think four Chinamen and and Jim Smith. It was quite a funny selection of names, but anyway, I went and had a look at him in a paddock, and and he was the worst looking horse there. But he was turned out he was a real mighty horse. He was a great galloper. Here he won the he won the two thousand guineas in the Derby. And everything else, he would, uh, the big wait for age race at Easter too. So he was he was a very very good horse. Then he won the uh, Rose Hill Guineas, uh, and then he came back and he won the Cox Plate. Good tough horse. That day in the Cox Plate, it was the field was very cramped up. Turning for home, he was nearly last, if not last, and he just put in a withering run to get up and win, and win quite well in the finish. And his name. How did he get his name? I don't know. You'd have to ask the Chinaman about that one. <laughs> Lance, you obviously on that day. Did everything pan out from, from start to finish how you thought it might? Or oh, was still too much work? Look, look, in a race like that, it was hard to make any sort of plan. I think he might have drawn out a bit. And it was just, you know, concentrating on getting in on the first corner. Um, as far as I'm getting his name, it's by Crested Waves, so Surface Paradise. I think right. that may have had something to do with the naming yeah. of, of the horse. But, you know, he was, he was uh, you know, I think he was at quite long odds that day. It might have been sort of 18 to 1, but he was a horse who really mixed his form. And when you go back through his history, he always failed on a wet track. And I think the start prior to the Cox Plate, I've got a feeling he only beat one home here in New Zealand. Yeah, that was at Ellerslie, yeah. On a wet track, and uh, then he went across, but he, was, he, he wasn't he was a very big horse, but he took an, an, an enormous stride, and he only had to spit on the track, and he was sort of all at, at sea in the conditions. But um, every time he got on top of a track that was firm underneath, he was hard to beat. He also liked his races spaced a little bit, yeah, didn't he? Yeah, he did. But, uh, yeah, he's probably... Of the horses that I rode and probably you trained, he was probably the most underrated horse. When you go back, you look at his his performance and he really was an exceptional racehorse. And he beat some good horses that day too, didn't he? Like Super Impose, yeah. uh, Tay, Rough Habit. Um, he beat some quality horses. They were, they were good horses and, and, and he didn't just beat them. You know, he sort of, he was sort of, they, as Dad said, they were sort of um, started to bunch on the corner and... Uh, he was probably only about three or four lengths off them and he was able to come to the outside, get on the back of Superimposed and he really swamped the last, but he won very comfortably. 
and they they were a good lineup. And he went, I think he went lined up the McKinnon Stakes. Sort of nine days later, we went out favourite on that occasion and really disappointed. But the race was probably a little bit too close. And just uh, how special was it to have the three of you winning the Cox Plate together that day in 1991? For, for myself personally, um, I, I, know, I know prior to this, the had had three seconds and a third. I'd been involved until the seconds and a third. So uh, you could say it was unfinished business, but it, it was just such a thrill to win it. And, of course, we didn't mind waiting a couple more years. I think it was worth a little bit more money in 1991. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think it was just, uh, I, I think from my own personal view and also my brother Paul, we were both thrilled for my father who had been doing it out there trying to win the race long before we came along. So it gave us a lot of satisf- satisfaction. Yeah, that's, that's good. Um, yeah, I, I think the the first runner I had was in about 1975. It was a horse called Upic, and he he was a he, he won the Sydney Cup later uh, the following year. The very good horse was striking wet tracks in Melbourne that year, and uh, but the Cox Plate then was just just another race. I think it was it wasn't recognised as it is now. I mean, it is the race in Australia to win. Um, in those days, it wasn't. Uh, so, but he didn't. He, he only went a fair race. But he was a very good horse. But just didn't handle the tracks there that we got that year. And um, obviously, before all that, we had in 1986 the race of the century. Um, when you look back on on that day, what was it like to be involved in? Obviously, that such a famous race. Um, and the build-up to that race back in 1986. Yeah, well, all it does really brings lumps to your throat, doesn't it, a race like that? But it, it was a crazy race. Um, I think two jockeys would never have done that again. Uh, they didn't do the wrong thing, but it was a pretty brave move to do what they did do. Uh, uh, it left a lump in your throat, that race. I know it was pretty... I was pleased for Frank because he had been under a lot of pressure and I was pleased for him, but also disappointed for us. But never mind, that's the way it goes. And just some of the, the involvement of the Cox Plate, you said since 1975, uh, we're told uh, McEwen was a big reason for, for the race uh, changing and becoming what it is today. What are some of the other contributing factors to that? With Ian? Yeah, with Ian. Uh, well, uh, the, the next horse I took over there after Upic was um, a horse called Chivalry, and he ran second to, um, what was the name of that horse he ran? Dul- Dulcify? Yeah. Ran second to Dulcify. But on that day, nothing would have beaten Dulcify. He won by five or six lengths. So, um, but Ian, he did ring me. I was staying out at uh, Epsom, and he rang me to say to bring him in and, and let him have a gallop on the track. And I wouldn't because he's such a delicate little horse. I thought I don't want to put him on a float and make it tough on him. That was a mistake because I think any horse that's going to race in Mooney Valley wants to go there and have a gallop first, have a, let him have a look at the place. I didn't. <laughs> um, and just to, I guess, to touch on the, the race itself and what it's now become, the, the Cox Plate, um, I guess when you hear... You know the name or the, the race, the Cox Plate. What are your 
We'll start, Lance, first with you. What are your thoughts? Like, what do you immediately think of when you hear of the Cox Plate? Well, I, well, I think, you know, the Cox Plate is such an important race. You know, there's, there's the, the Golden Slipper Melbourne Cup Cox Plate, and every jockey wants to win one of those. And uh, we were fortunate to win one, and probably... Um, you know, three races, very, very different race. I think the Cox Plate is the, you know, it's the championship. You know, it's the best race horse. It's a weight for age championship of Australasia. And uh, we can just see how important it is now where the horses are coming from all around the world to compete in it. So it's just such a, a prestigious event. And, you know, we haven't had a runner in the race as a trainer, but uh, there's never a year goes by where I'm not glued to the TV to watch. David, yeah, I, I'd, I'd confirm that you know it. It is. It is the race in Australia. I, apart from the Melbourne Cup, the Melbourne Cup will always be the race in Australia, and I, I think definitely the Cox Plate's the next. Uh, and it's just getting better and better, uh, and no doubt as the money goes up, it will get better. So, but it's it's uh, it's a, just a real thrilling race to be involved in. And obviously New Zealand uh, has had such a, a long affiliation with the Cox Plate, so many great champions. Is there any horses in the country this year you think uh, you could single out as possible contenders? Well, I, I must say I, I just don't study them like I used to. Uh, I'd be surprised if there was one. I think there is one. <laughs> I, the, the filly that ran second in the Oaks and a, a filly by Vatamos. Um, oh, yeah. La Creek. La Creek. Creek. And, uh, you know, I understand that she's making her way to to Melbourne and I think she's an outstanding, well, she'll be a mare by the time she gets there. And if New Zealand have a chance of winning it, uh, in the, well, she's our best chance we've had for a very, very long time if they're heading that way. She's an outstanding filly and... Yeah, if she gets here and if she can get there in the form that she showed this summer as a three-year-old filly, look out. Yeah. That's very exciting. Uh, I think that's all. I think that's all. I think that's all our questions. Dave and uh, Lance, thanks a lot for your time. Thank you very and, much. Uh, good luck for the rest of the season. Our pleasure, boys. Pleasure, and, guys. Uh, let's you. hope the Cox Plate keeps getting better. Absolutely. All ready to go. They're off. Great start to in the Cox Plate and down on the inside, Stylish Century, the first to jump out from Kinjatoad, ready to explode. And towards the outside, Chortle is going very fast out there as so is Shaftesbury Avenue coming down towards the judges' box and deeper on the track is Stargazer. Past the judges' box, a lap to go and Chortle goes to the front by length in advance of Stylish Century. There followed by Kinjatoad that was crowding there. Uh, Royal Creation interfered with and Shaftesbury Avenue got a slight check and the field starts to string out down the side at the 1600. Shortle about three lengths to Stylish Century, a length and a half to Kinjatay on the inside of Stargazer. Four lengths further back is Shaftesbury Avenue, a length into Rough Habit, moving up on the outside and uh, they were being closely followed then by Royal Creation, ready to explode a length further back is Prince Celeria. He's over on the outside there and he was followed by Dr. Grace, a length to Citizen, followed by Surface Paradise, who's third last. Superimposer second last and Lord Revenue last all about 20 lengths off the lead around the back just over a thousand to go and the leader Chortle two and a half lengths to Stylish Century 
two lengths away, Stargazer. Kinjataya is fourth, in behind them, Shaftesbury Avenue, a length and a half to Rough Habiter. Two lengths to Royal Creation on the outside of Ready to Explode, a length to Citizen being followed by Prince Deliria. Dr. Grace in behind them, Citizen is uh, dropping back a little bit on the outside and superimposer starting to go around the next, a length and a half to Surface Paradise, second last, and Lord Revenue last of all. Uh, down the school side, 650 to go, and Stylish Century has taken the lead. Here come the challenges. Uh, Shaftesbury Avenue taking off on the outside and winding his run, and so is Stargazer. Rough habit moving up just behind them. Citizen into the picture with a good run, ready to explode, is back behind them. Uh, and they're followed by Dr. Grace up towards the home turn. Rough habit has dashed to the front now on the Cox Plate, rounding the turn. Uh, Rough habit the leader, Citizen in hot pursuit. They're followed by Shaftesbury Avenue under pressure. Superimposes finishing on well. Uh, Surfers Paradise on the outside as they straighten up. Rough habit headed by Citizen. 200 metres left to go, Citizen hit the front, here comes Superimposed down the outside with a rattling run, and Surfers Paradise is deeper on the track, Surfers Paradise is swapping them, the New Zealander, Surfers Paradise drawing clear, Surfers Paradise has won, Superimposed second, Citizen third, ready to explode, close up Prince Saliri, Royal Creation, they're followed by Dr Grace Ruffhammer, Lord Revenue, followed by Stylish Century and Kinjaday, Shaftesbury Avenue's finished a long, long way back with Stargazer, and last of all is Chortle.